0: Hi, I'm John Wilson. Welcome to These Three, a series in which I talk to artists, musicians, writers, directors, actors, photographers, all sorts of creative people, in fact, about their artistic lives by focusing on three key works, one that they made themselves, that they're particularly proud of, one by somebody else that they wish they'd made, and one that they're working on right now.
1: This is Natalie Merchant, and you're listening to John Wilson and myself. It's not in that key. It's not an E. It's
0: not an A. No, oh, you can't remember which key is it is in. I
1: can't remember what
0: key it was in. Feeling way back through the keys.
1: I know I always write in um, keys that piss off guitar players. <laughs> The sharps and flats I I write on the piano, so they always say, "Can we just drop it a half step?" (laughs) Lots of flats, and then it goes somewhere else. There it is. Oh yes. Didn't that feel good? That's the one. Yeah, (laughs) that
0: was the one, wasn't
1: it? (laughs) That was the pit of despair we fell in.
0: E flat
1: minor. E flat. E flat major. Major, okay. But it sounds minor, doesn't it? Yeah. It's dark in there. It's very, very dark. Don't be afraid. (laughs) (laughs) I will be your guide. (laughs) It's the devil calling. (laughs)
0: Okay. Natalie started out with the band 10,000 Maniacs. She launched a solo career in 1995 with the album Tiger Lily. I think there have been, what, five or six albums since then, Natalie, and still performing regularly, not recording quite as often or as regularly as the live performances, but I'm delighted to say that you're here sitting at... A piano. We should just say where we are, in fact. This is the Oscar Wilde room of the Café Royal Hotel in London's West End. And what an amazing, beautiful, gilded room around us. Oscar Wilde apparently used to dine here and drink here.
1: I saw him yesterday. Oscar. I did. Yeah, well, at he, the his ghost. Um, Royal Academy.
0: Ah, his portrait.
1: He was just one figure at the... What do they call the Great Spectacle?
0: The summer show. Show. Yeah, the Royal and Academy of Summer. They show.
1: had a, a display of the history of it, the 250 years, and there was a Victorian portrait, and in it you could find different characters at the the opening, and a young Oscar Wilde.
0: Right. So I did see are. him yesterday. You saw him, and now we're in his room. <laughs> we're
1: in his room. We're zeroing in.
0: How's the piano sound?
1: That oh, sounds good.
0: Yeah. Don't think this piano was there. When he was hanging out?
1: No, Yamaha. I don't think they were importing <laughs> pianos from Japan at the
0: time. <laughs> so I've set you the task, Natalie. Three songs. Um, let's start with The Song I Wrote. Which one are you nominating?
1: The Song I Wrote, I Was Thinking of Lulu.
0: Which is a more recent song, actually, isn't it? Isn't yes, it from the last album, in which is?
1: 2014.
0: It's a character study, isn't it?
1: Yes, it's a biographical sketch of Louise Brooks. They say that
2: Hollywood was Never gonna be the same without you Still you're gone And
0: why her?
1: How why can we her? That face because that such a powerful, iconic figure time, in American pop culture.
2: It's
1: one of the early... Film stars. And everybody knew your name. The path of her life was so rugged, but touched with fire. At the age of, I think she was 15, she was recognized as. Such an incredible dancer that, with a chaperone, she went to New York City and joined a modern dance company, a pioneering modern dance company, the Denishon Dancers.
0: She came to London as well, I think, didn't she? she danced, I read somewhere that she was the first person to dance the flapper dance, I think, in London.
1: Probably in 1929, because she was in um, Germany making two films with Wilhelm George Pabst. She made Diary of the Lost Girl and Pandora's Box. But she went to New York City and um, ended up dancing burlesque or in the Follies, which was basically burlesque at the time, which was just, you know, scantily clad women.
0: Yeah, I've just realized you you know loads about Louise Brooks. Yeah. This, is, this is not just sort of watching her on the screen no, and being became, a fan. No,
1: she became Charlie Chaplin's lover, I think, when she was about 20 years old. And she was in the Ziegfeld Follies. And then um, she went to Hollywood and... She was in some early silent films, but she found Hollywood to be really trivial and she couldn't get the roles she wanted. And because she had that modern dance training, she moved with such elegance and beauty and uh, she thought the acting was histrionic. She didn't want to be part of that. And then she went to Germany and was in these two incredible films, really controversial films too. Diary of a Lost Girl, she's raped and she gives birth to an illegitimate child, and then she joins a brothel, and... But anyway, she, she was the toast of the town in Berlin in 1929, and that's not that long after the First World War. She came back to Hollywood thinking that she was going to be the conquering hero, and the doors were shut.
0: Because she'd gone to Germany.
1: That, and she walked out on her contract with a major studio when she went to Germany. Germany,
0: 1929,
1: Weimar. Weimar.
0: And... Lots happening in Berlin. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of very <laughs> yeah. exciting people there gathering.
2: Christened in straight up Jim Pandora was born in Weimar and then was the
1: probably making this podcast way too long but her story is is phenomenal she ended up she could not get a decent role in Hollywood so she went back to Wichita she taught dance for a while lived with her mother and then ended up in New York City and and an extreme alcoholic and and reclusive and and one day she came back to her apartment and there was a someone had put a flyer in the elevator talking about some silent film party, and they had drawn a cartoon of her. And she ripped it off the wall, and she went to the apartment of the person who was hosting the party, and was like, how dare you? (laughs) And he had no idea that she lived in the building, and that's how she was discovered. The director of the Eastman House in Rochester, who was a film historian, was contacted, and um convinced her to come live in rochester where Eastman kodak was based and um she lived out the rest of her life there in rochester which was really close to where i grew up and she didn't die till 1985 and my best friend mary beth and i would all the time we said plot how are we going to get to rochester and find louise
0: brooks oh you knew she was there
1: yeah we knew she was there there were rumors
0: you never saw her there
1: she died in '85 and knowing it and we also what would we have had to say to her? Really? <laughs> you
0: know? So you said it in a song instead yeah. several decades later. But
2: nobody knew your name Nobody knew your
0: name Can you remember writing it
1: I do oftentimes when I'm writing they'll just be a phrase, you know. I'll always come up with the chords, and then there'll be a melody, and then just a phrase will kind of bubble to the surface. There was something about um, a wishing well, and it had nothing to do with <laughs> Louise Brooks. So I do remember that. And so for about a year, it was mm, all the friend on the wishing well, and, a and I was like, I don't know what the hell this is about. You go from the gibberish stage into okay, I have to now. Attach some meaning to this chord progression, then the then the words came pretty quickly because I knew so much about her.
0: Do you often write at the piano and do the words? Do the words form with the chords, or are they written down separately? Never. Ah, oh.
1: the words are written as a response to the chords. Yeah.
0: So the the chords, the music, the sound suggests stories. Well,
1: in it, I'm going to find the in my book here. I printed a little book mm. to take, to, because I'm on a, a strike. I, was, I am not bringing my computer, I'm taking a break from my computer. I want to go to England, the way I did in 1982, 3, <laughs> and bring my moleskin journal and uh, my little chord book. But anyway, um, so every chord has emotional connotations to it. And um, what is this making me feel when I move from this chord to the, this chord? Did that? What does it make you feel? I mean, I definitely, when I go from the B, there's a re- release there. And hope. Hope. It's a hopeful yeah. transition. There's an uplift, isn't there? Yeah, okay, now write a, write a song about that. <laughs> I made you feel something. Yeah, yeah. Now you want to make someone else feel that. And I could just sit here playing... ..for hours, and we could just continue to feel that, and and we'd have our own associations with that progression.
0: Well, exactly, and I just came up with the word hope there. I mean, that could be a word in a lyric, or it could then be just a mood.
1: Or a scenario. A scenario. But I felt it too. This is like... Um, (laughs) there's some, there's not conflict here, but there's, to me, in this B chord, there's something unresolved there. We attach meaning to that, and it's magic, actually, because it is so ephemeral, it's so obscure, and it's so objective, but at some point you have to just lay down the law, okay? This means... They said that Hollywood
2: was never gonna be the same without you. Still you're gone.
0: And that's the beginning of Lulu. Yeah. Okay, let's move on. The song you wish you'd written.
1: Oh. Bobby Gentry, Ode to Billy Joe.
0: It was it third of June, another sleepy dusty delta day That was a really unusual song when it was released because it, it broke some of the conventions because it was so long and it told a story. It was dark. And it's very dark.
1: It was 1968, I believe, when she wrote that. And I think Bobby Gentry is as mysterious as her song in the same way that Louise Brooks burned bright and then sort of vanished.
0: Was it, was it a song that you grew up with? When mm. did...
1: I can specifically remember that song.
0: From your mum or from the radio? From or... the
1: radio. Yeah, we listened to the radio in the car all the time. And so I had a lot of memories of driving around that summer and hearing that song. And I was really, really young. And, and, and the, the song was played on the radio for many years after 1968. But 1968 was such a turbulent, weird summer. There were riots and assassinations and burning mm. cities. And I was a very small child. I was only four or five years old.
0: But you remember hearing the song?
1: That? Oh, definitely.
0: Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. And did you follow the story? Was it something about that kind of... Suggestion of what happens because it's never explicit in the song. I mean, what's your interpretation well, of the a b- narrative? A
1: boy jumps off a bridge and kills himself.
2: Seems like nothing ever comes to no good up on Choctaw Ridge.
1: And now Billy Joe McAllister's jumped off the Tallahatchie Bridge. You know, at four or five years old, to try to comprehend why someone would end life. And as I got older, you know, six, seven, eight years old, and it just went deeper, the, and it was mysterious, and, it was, and I'd never been to the south, and so um, as I got older and I learned about slavery in the deep south, and so it started to evoke these... The song just sort of fleshed out over the years, cotton plantations and magnolia trees and Spanish moss, and this kind of murky, swampy... Southern Gothic, and as even I got, as I got older, and I started reading some of the Southern Gothic writers like Tennessee Williams mm. and Carson McCullers and Flannery O'Connor, the song has deepened and changed in meaning. You know, I'd never been to Mississippi until I was probably twenty years old, so I had my picture um, that Bobby Gentry had painted for me, but then I went down to the Deep South and filled it in with my own senses.
0: So you get a sense of the South, you get a sense of the place, and we hear about the bridge, obviously, because that's where Billy Joe threw himself off the bridge. Billy Joe McAllister, isn't it? But the story is told around a kitchen table. There's a family, and there seems to be a a girl, a protagonist, who is somehow linked to Billy Joe and it's what's it's such not said. It's a set.
1: clever approach to a song because it is just a conversation around a table. It's almost like a chapter or a paragraph from a Southern Gothic novel that you just found torn on the side of the road. You pick it up, you read it, you have no idea. There's no context. You know, we talk about the Carroll County Picture Show and how they put a frog down her back.
2: That nice young preacher Brother Taylor dropped by today.
1: The nice Reverend Brother Taylor stopped by today. He said he'd be pleased to have dinner on Sunday and by the way, he said he saw a girl look a lot like you up on Choctaw Ridge.
2: He said he saw a girl that looked a lot like you up on Choctaw Ridge. She and Billy Joe was throwing something off the Tallahatchie Bridge. And she and Billy Joe was throwing
0: something off the Tallahatchie Bridge. What were they throwing off the bridge?
1: We don't know. (laughs) It's the great mystery.
0: Um, What do you think? Because this this song has been analysed endlessly, hasn't it?
1: Yeah, I've always just let the mystery be. Sometimes I see flowers going off the bridge. I think in all these years she's never told anyone. And uh, by coincidence, it's one of the songs that I was going to do on my tour. So
0: you... when you say it's the song you wish you'd written is it because there is something about it as a songwriter that you admire or is it a song that you particularly love as a fan both is there anything that you've borrowed from it over the years or taken you know when when you listen as a songwriter to another work that you admire uh, you, I mean I'm not suggesting you've taken chords from it or but just the technique or the narrative or the the I character
1: think it, quoting characters and also writing in a dialect. She wrote in a southern dialect here, and, and there have been times that I've written songs and I've, I've included dialogue in, in the lyrics and tried to capture the voice of the character. Can I just sing an a cappella? Yeah. It was the third of
2: June Another sleepy, dusty, Delta day well I was out chopping cotton and my brother was sparing me And at dinner time we stopped and walked back to the house to eat And mama hollered out the back door y'all remember to wipe your feet. And then she said, I got a bit of news this morning off and talked Today, Billy Joe
1: McAllister jumped off the Tallahatchie Bridge.
0: That was so beautiful. In fact, you attracted the attention of the hotel staff. They're all kind of trying to pour (laughs) in here to see what's happening (laughs) in the Oscar Wilde room. Ode to Billy Joe the song you wish you'd written. <laughs> great song, great story. The song you're writing, Natalie, because I reckon all songwriters have a melody going through their heads at any given moment. Is that true, or do you only hear the melodies and do the song start to work when, when you're sitting here at the piano? And- no, it's, it's both. I
1: mean, there's music in my head all the time. It's my affliction and my joy at the same time. <laughs> it depends on what song it is. It's my affliction, but... There's music all the time.
0: So there is a song that you are writing at the moment?
1: Yes, there's a song, uh, and I tend to work on songs over years. They just sort of roll around. There's one called Guardian Angel that I've been working on for about ten years.
0: Ten years on one song?
1: It's it's a song about grief. I witnessed a, a dear friend of mine lost both her children and her husband in the same year all to different illnesses. And um, at the third funeral I attended, I watched her falter in ease, And I just imagined, you know, I write songs that are meaningful to me. And um, I just tried to imagine what kind of bargaining you'd have to do, you know, to try to come to terms with that. Mm-hmm. And I thought about the stages of grief, the shock and disbelief and the anger and denial and the depression and then the final acceptance. And so I wanted to write a song about this sort of grief. Was I it cathartic to,
0: though? Is that part of the process it, of trying to deal with, with but that it's grief?
1: So, I think working on the song is so painful that I just, um, I keep putting it off, but it is very therapeutic. Bad things happening to good people. How is that possible? Why is that allowed? And I thought about the personification of the the guardian angel. And what if your guardian angel abandons you and then you're subject to the evil forces? Or what if, worse than that, your guardian angel was a, a dark force and turned against you?
0: That's, and, the, that's the scenario And they so do that's the that
1: scenario song. Of the, the songs yeah. Guardian Angel Is um, at first And then going through the, the, the stages of grief Of first I can't believe That you would do this to me You would allow this To happen to me And I'm angry That it's happened to me the, In the end It's um,
2: <laughs> Guardian Angel I don't believe you would ever take from me
1: All the
2: things I love
1: But anyway, um, it's about Guardian Angel, I'm begging you Please forgive the things I do Because this must be my fault I must have done something to bring this on myself So please forgive me and then, guardian angel, I don't believe that you would take everything from me. Everything I love, everything that is, I hold dear. And then, guardian angel, I'm on my knees. You know, I'm begging you. This is the bargaining phase. Hear me, come back. Don't you pity me. Can't you pity me? And then, um, in the end, it's the anger of guardian angel. I'll track you down. There's no place on earth. You can't be found. You won't escape my rage. And then the, the refrain. Take my breath away.
2: Take my breath away.
1: Take my breath away. That goes there. But uh, the refrain is just a mantra of take my breath away. And and if you were to, if your guardian angel were to make herself present to you, it would be awe-inspiring and it would take your breath away. Or take my breath away is like, let me die. I don't, I can't bear this anymore. Or um, take my breath away sort of challenging the angel to reveal herself. So um, I've been wrestling with this one for a while.
0: I'm not surprised it's taken so long. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's hard enough to talk about, but I mean... And
1: I always try to write music that in some way could bring comfort to people, but what if you're inconsolable? Mm. And that's sort of where my friend was for a long time. Inconsolable and rightly so.
0: Yeah.
1: So sometimes the music just feels kind of impotent. <laughs>
0: So is it done now? Is the song finished? No, you st- no, it's, it's not still done. in the process. <laughs> do you think done. you'll ever finish it? Or yes,
1: you- I will. I need to finish it, and then I want to play it for her. And now she's losing her sight. She's going blind, and and she is the most generous-hearted person. <laughs> it really makes you want to not believe in God, to think that this series of events could. Just rain down on someone so good.
0: Does this friend of yours know that you're writing this song? No, she
1: doesn't.
0: What will she make of it, do you think?
1: Well, music was such a comfort to her daughters, especially my music, that I should finish this for her.
0: Well, I hope you get to finish the song, Natalie, and I hope your friend gets to hear it. It's a very powerful thing, music, isn't it?
1: It is. It is for me. (laughs) and for so many other people and I think this this format that you've come up with is really fascinating and I'll be looking forward to hearing what other songwriters have to offer
0: well thank you so much for joining us Natalie it's great to see you again
1: great to see you too
0: Please do rate and review these three, and it helps other people find the series. And subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. Also, have a look at the website. We've got more information about all of the guests. There are photographs, videos, uh, previews of forthcoming episodes. We're on Twitter and Instagram, of course. These Three is produced and presented by me, John Wilson, in association with Analog Folk. Thanks for listening.